Welcome to Digital Yoma, a podcast about living a symbolic life in a technological age. Man cannot stand a meaningless life. In this episode, we look at one of the major barriers in the practice of the symbolic life today, the problem of noise. How does this problem change our experience of the inner life? And what, if anything, can we do about it? It's the human soul. That's the buried treasure. Noise protects us from painful reflection. It scatters our anxious dreams. It assures us that we are all in the same boat and creating such a racket that nobody will dare to attack us. Noise is so insistent, so overwhelmingly real, that everything else becomes a pale phantom. It relieves us of the effort to say or do anything, for the very air reverberates with the invincible power of our modernity. Now I want to direct your attention to this quote from Jung, because I I think it addresses one of the most challenging difficulties in the symbolic life today. It's a problem that's so much a part of the very air that we breathe these days that in many ways we have become desensitized to its very existence. And that's the problem of noise. This quote comes from a letter that Jung wrote in 1957. He's responding to a request to contribute to an organization that had been formed to address the issue of noise, which, because of the growth of industrialization and technology, had increasingly become a problem as the first half of the 20th century progressed. It's a very pessimistic letter in many ways but it raises concerns about several things that have only become exponentially more problematic in the more than 60 years since it was first written. And let me say right off the bat that by noise, I don't just mean loud sounds. This may have been Jung's original intent when he wrote the letter, but, but even so, I'm expanding the notion of noise to mean something along the lines of psychological noise. And by that, I mean everything that encroaches upon the free and spontaneous play of the deep psyche. Loud sounds, yes, but also lights that are always on, from street lights to glowing screens, 
the endless amusements we are aggressively encouraged to binge, and the glut of information that streams endlessly into every setting of our lives. Now, in the last episode, I said that a key component of the symbolic life is to carve out space for a discipline of deep listening. But that is by no means a simple thing to do in this noisy technological age in which we live. And you'll notice in the quote from Jung that he identifies two core issues related to the problem of noise. And the first is our tendency, both consciously and unconsciously, to use noise defensively. The second is in the way that it affects our perception of the inner life. And that has consequences for how we live and express that inner life. So the first thing he says is noise protects us from painful reflection. Noise protects, protects us from painful reflection. It scatters our anxious dreams and assures us that we're all in the same boat, making such a racket that nobody will dare to attack us. It's really important that we not deceive ourselves that the symbolic life is easy, that it's just a program for feeling good. I've said before that the symbolic life has to do with meaning and that it involves an attunement with life. But it's not a path of denial. To be attuned with life also means facing the difficulties that every life must face. Sadness, loss, regret, illness, death. In the deepest heart of all of us, there is a corner in which the ultimate mystery of things works sadly. So said William James in an essay titled, Is Life Worth Living? So can we be faulted if we're tempted to avoid these darker corners of the inner life? Probably not, but still. If we're going to realize the full potential of the symbolic life, we can't hold ourselves back from its challenges. One particularly painful area of reflection for many of us is the remembrance of all the ways that we have let ourselves down. All the ways, perhaps, that we've not risked living out of our own creative depths. And our fear that we may never have the time or the freedom or the courage to even begin. And so we might keep ourselves busy or distracted or otherwise occupied, in part as a way to stay ahead of the pain of reflecting on our unlived lives. Noise protects us from painful reflection. 
We work hard to avoid the psychic pain. But the truth is that a life of meaning necessarily includes a place for painful reflection. In the same way that light and dark mutually support and contain each other, so too are joy and sorrow inseparable in a fully lived human life. We can't have one without the other. When we avoid the painful truths of life, we're left only with the pursuit of pleasure. And that sounds good superficially, but the nature of pleasure is that it's always fleeting. And therefore, it must be pursued in greater and more frequent hits in order to be sustained. And psychology calls this the hedonic treadmill. The human nervous system quickly becomes adjusted to the new and the unique, so that what was pleasurable before soon becomes flat and unsatisfying. This kind of pursuit of pleasure ultimately is but a momentary anesthetic, an attempt to forget the pain. And what is anesthetic is that which cuts us off from the aesthetic. In other words, it numbs us to feeling, to depth, to beauty, to soul. How can we experience the beauty and poignancy of life, for example, if we cannot acknowledge its fragility, its heartbreaking brevity? So teach us to number our days, says the psalmist of the Old Testament, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. So much for the defensive use of noise. Jung also suggests in his quote, that because noise is, as he says, so insistent, so overwhelmingly real, it turns everything else into a pale phantom. And in this, Jung is in complete agreement with the wisdom of the legendary sage Lao Tzu. So here's what it says in chapter 12 of the Tao Te Ching. The five colors blind the eye. The five tones deafen the ear. The five flavors dull the taste. Racing and hunting madden the mind. Precious things lead one astray. Therefore the sage is guided by what he feels and not by what he sees. He lets go of that and chooses this. The five colors blind the eye. The five tones deafen the ear. The five flavors dull the taste. 
racing and hunting madden the mind. Precious things lead one astray. Therefore the sage is guided by what he feels, not by what he sees. He lets go of that and chooses this. Now, on hearing this passage, we might be tempted to respond, well, what are eyes for if not to see things? And ears if not to hear things, or taste buds if not to experience flavor? From the wisdom perspective, though, colors blind the eye and flavors numb the taste, meaning that the senses that are occupied are not available for other, perhaps more subtle, phenomena. How much more true must this be of our exceedingly overstimulated senses today? Jung lamented the incursion of technology into the homes of modern people. Without adequate stillness and silence, he felt, we cannot escape the demands of time and begin to sense the timeless nature of the symbolic life. Even the privacy of our own minds becomes scarce. We have our own room, of course, he says, but there is a telephone that can ring us up at any time and we must always be ready. Now, it goes without saying that today that telephone is not somewhere in another room in our house, but it's constantly with us in our hands and pockets and purses everywhere we go. The constant noise of information, entertainment, so-called breaking news, technology, and all the modern traffic of contemporary life makes it almost impossible to hear the still, small voice of the soul. Life has to work so much harder to break through the sound barrier that constantly surrounds us. We need our experiences to be extraordinary, beyond peak experiences even. No doubt some of the major significant life moments can break through, perhaps things like falling in love and having a baby, the death of a loved one. But the day-to-day -day encounter with the depths of life is all but obscured. Silence is essential to the symbolic life because symbols speak with a kind of silence themselves. When we are able to be open and receptive to the resonance of a symbolic image, it transports our awareness beyond thought into a state of what Joseph Campbell, borrowing a phrase from James Joyce, called aesthetic arrest. In aesthetic arrest, the racing of the mind and heart are stilled, 
such that we're enabled to feel a sense of our kinship with being itself, beyond words or concepts or thought. But we need silence in order to hear that greater silence. So, is there a takeaway to all of this? Is there an action we can take to try and counter the noisiness of what Jung calls the invincible power of modernity? Well, according to the Tao Te Ching, the action of the sage, the wise one, is to be guided by what he feels and not by what he sees, right? Other versions translate this phrase a little differently. They translate it more symbolically. And they say, the sage cares for the stomach and not the eyes. And this image points to the importance of drawing our attention inward. Where the eyes are drawn to the world outside, the stomach is an image of the world within. Looking outward, the eyes get caught up in seeking and in desire. Well, the stomach can calmly and reliably evaluate the state of contentment and satisfaction as it is in the moment. We might understand this line of the Tao Te Ching by comparing it with a saying that we all know very well. My eyes were bigger than my stomach, meaning our desire was bigger than our actual need. All the noise and busyness of the world tends to keep us caught in our desiring, in our longing, in our sense of lack, our need. We are constantly in a state of our eyes being bigger than our stomachs. Pulling back from the noisy activity of everyday life, even temporarily, can help us touch a wholeness where we realize that in this moment, nothing is needed. And that's the meaning of the last line of the chapter from the Tao Te Ching. The sage lets go of that and chooses this. That is something over there, the thing we think we want. It's the longed-for or feared future, the nostalgic or the regretful past. This is right here, right now. It's what Meister Eckhart calls the now moment. And it's in this now moment in which the ever-creating, ever-renewing movement of life can be touched. The art of living, said Alan Watts, consists in being completely sensitive to each moment, 
regarding it as utterly new and unique and having the mind open and wholly receptive. So, what action can we take? Be still. Seek silence. Let go of that. Choose this. Until next time. You'll find information in the show notes for all the sources used in this week's episode, as well as links to connect with me on social media. Let's make this a conversation. If you have questions about anything you heard in the episode or that you'd like me to address in a future episode, send them to me on Facebook or Twitter using the hashtag DigitalYoung. And finally, if you want a deeper dive into the kind of material explored on this podcast, please check out my book, Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life, coming from Chiron Publications later this month. Thanks for listening, and take good care.